Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Rafi Friedman Gerspan, Director of External Relations for the National Center for Transgender Equality, a national social justice organization devoted to ending discrimination and violence against transgender people through education, advocacy, and collaboration on national issues of importance. I want to thank all of you following Jesse Garcia's show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the show, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention DC listeners, the Latin American Youth Center invites you to help celebrate 50 years of service to the area's youth at its 2018 gala, being held Thursday, May 10th at the Marriott Warden Park Hotel. The center is a 501c3 nonprofit that provides bilingual programs and opportunities in academics, arts, and recreation, plus job readiness, safe housing for homeless youth, and health and wellness programs to help youth make a successful transition to young adulthood. Buy your tickets today at layc-dc.org. That's layc-dc. And here's your weekly news update. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer young adults are more than twice as likely to experience homelessness when compared to their non-LGBTQ peers, according to a new study by Chapin Hall, an independent policy research center at the University of Chicago. The groundbreaking study also found that LGBTQ youth are also at greater risk for experiencing high levels of hardship. The recent report also showed that black LGBTQ youth, especially young men, had the highest rates of homelessness. Among youth experiencing homelessness, LGBTQ youth had twice the rate of early death compared to other youth. LGBTQ youth had higher rates of assault and exchanging of sex for basic needs. Youth made decisions about seeking services based on the reputation of the agency providing the services. The study also found that safe and affirming systems and services are important to LGBTQ youth. The factors that led young LGBTQ people to experience homelessness stem from more than coming out. Their families face broader issues of instability, including poverty, violence, addiction, or mental health problems that contributed to their risk for homelessness and adversity. The report also details solutions that can help, which include 1. Providing enhanced training across the provider community. 2. Engaging LGBTQ youth as full partners in strengthening systems and services. 3. Encouraging community organizations and systems working with runaway and homeless youth to institute more sensitive data collection about sexual orientation and gender identity. 4. Adding or revising guidance in federal grants on how these resources can better support LGBTQ and minority LGBTQ youth. And lastly, 5. Evaluating the most promising programs and interventions to determine their effectiveness for LGBTQ youth. For more information about the study, visit chapinhall.org. That's C-H-A-P-I-N-H-A-L-L dot O-R-G.
Since the beginning of Donald Trump's presidency, the transgender community has been under attack, so much so that the community's national advocacy organization, the National Center for Transgender Equality, has labeled President Trump the most anti-transgender president in American history. From removing guidelines at schools that protected transgender students across the nation to threatening to discharge 15,000 transgender troops from the military to going as far as banning the word transgender from any future budget request in public health, the White House has the National Center for Transgender Equality working overtime to fight back these attacks while at the same time sharing their stories with the American public. On the front lines is Rafi Friedman Gerspan, the Center's Director for External Relations. Rafi oversees public education and field organizing operations. She has worked in nonprofit and government sectors for nearly a decade, which includes stints in state government and a history making appointment at the White House. I want to welcome to the show Rafi Friedman Gerspan a fellow Obama appointee and a friend of mine that I admire who has been fighting the good fight for a long time. Tell us about yourself, Rafi, and your journey to the White House. Sure. Um, So in a nutshell, um, I was adopted as a baby. Um, I was born in Honduras. Um, I was raised outside of Boston. Um, I am big Patriots fan, big Patriots fan. I'm the last of five uh, kids of my dad. Um, my half siblings uh, have a different mother, but uh, we're all very close. I'm not the only adopted uh, child in my family. Actually, my sister Pam is adopted as well, um, and she's actually of color. She's she's black, um, and I grew up, um, you know, in a pretty progressive community. My parents are both social workers, um, and we were very involved in a lot of social action uh, stuff going on in our community. Um, I went to college in the Midwest, in uh, Minnesota. I went to St. Olaf College. Um, I actually developed, uh, even before going to St. Olaf, I developed a, a hobby around Scandinavia. I had a Norwegian babysitter when I was little. She got me into Norway. Um, And so I ended up actually studying abroad in Norway. Um, But it was during those years in college that I had initially come out as gay when I was um, in high school. But in college, I realized it was more than just sexual orientation. It was actually gender identity as well. And so um, I came out just before I went abroad to Norway. Um, and really socially transitioned in Oslo. Um, And so I came back, um, graduated from uh, St. Olaf, and then moved back to Boston and got involved with the local trans community and and, um, started my activism, my local activism, which spurred into a a career uh, in um, advocacy. And I worked in the legislature in Massachusetts. I worked for a state rep who was pushing a local bill. Um, that well, what other issues have you worked on? So not just uh, LGBT, but actually um, around um, some transportation, housing issues, um, also environmental. Uh, these were a lot of like local issues that we're working on in the in the legislature.
legislature because um, my boss represented uh, the city of Somerville, um, Massachusetts. And so I got to work on not just, you know, things that I had been trained on, but learned a lot of new things, uh, especially around development, because um, there's a lot of stuff going on in our community. And it was a great experience, and also just government and how government worked. Uh, um, and uh, then that experience ended in 2014, and I moved down to D.C., and first started working for NCTE, for National Center for Transgender Equality, where it's doing policy work specifically on immigration and um, poverty and um, issues affecting trans communities of color. And then I um, got uh, scooped up by the Obama White House um, and got a job uh, first in presidential personnel, where I was helping recruit people to work in the White House. And then um, in 2016, I was asked if I would take on the additional role as LGBT liaison in the final year, uh, which I did until January of 2017, and then came back to NCTE in the spring of 2017. And I'm now the director of external relations here. How was that experience in the White House, being able to manage offices yeah. and deal with people that want access to President Obama yeah. and the First Lady? How was that? Um, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. Um, I found myself learning to diplomatically um, set expectations mm -hmm. um, and also say no at certain points. But and all, it's hard because oh, everybody hard. wants access. Everyone wants access. And if all your friends yeah. keep calling you, hey, can you get me into this yeah. event? Yeah. So you had to be yeah. like well, a also, steel backbone telling them, nope. Yeah, well, it was also about if it wasn't, you know, of course everyone wants Obama, but also there are so many other great people exactly. that were there, um, including uh, uh, former, you know, Secretary Castro of HUD, um, Valerie Jarrett Valerie herself, Jarrett. Um, and even other community people that we knew of that said, you know, hey, we're not gonna be able to make it out to uh, Minneapolis, but we know these great folks that are out there that we think you should be in touch with. Um, one of the big things that I worked on in the final year was to really showcase what we had accomplished in eight years. So it was really thrilling to actually go to um, the communities themselves. One of the things that I did, I ended up doing four um, what we called White House summits out in Pittsburgh, in um, Phoenix, in New Orleans, and in, um, where's the last one? Um, anyway, there was another one. Um, and uh, we got to showcase the White House and the various agencies that had worked on LGBT stuff and also the local offices of agencies and bringing people um, together. Um, and that was really thrilling because we, you know, of course everyone wanted to come to DC, but some people just didn't have the means to, but very much in the spirit of President Obama and Michelle Obama was, we need to go to the people. Exactly. Um, after the 2016 election, you had to leave the White House mm -hmm. and you stepped into a more, possibly a more challenging role, yeah. which is coming to the National Center for Transgender Equality. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your new role here yeah. and what you're, you're doing. Sure. Um, so I joined uh, back in April of 2017. So I've been back for over a year now. And um, I actually oversee um, a newly constructed department, but some, we've been always doing this type of work, but we're called the Outreach and Education Team. And specifically what we do is um, work with community groups that are out there um, trying to help with 
their local initiatives, but we also have a storytelling program uh, where um, my colleague Rebecca Kling and um, our family um, organizers, Debbie Jackson and Deshauna Neal, work with community folks. So Re Rebecca works with trans-identified folks to tell their stories and really learning to tell stories that also help in broader advocacy. So not just saying, hey, I had a really bad experience with discrimination in healthcare, but also helping to essentially humanize some of the policy that we're trying to push forward or defend now um, that was done during the Obama administration to say, this is why this certain policy, if it's revoked, is going to impact my life. Here's how the Affordable Care Act positively impacted me as a transgender person. And it's important that you tell these stories because these stories need to be recognized by the community members mm -hmm. who may have a child coming up mm -hmm. who's starting to identify. Yes. Yes. By humanizing the issue, yeah. this makes the journey for that child so much easier. Exactly, and that's why we have our family organizers, Debbie and Deshana, um, who are working with parents um, really all over the country. Um, and again, yes, being role models for other parents, but also appropriately demonstrating to people who might not understand who transgender people are, look like I had to go through my own process to understand my kid, but at the end of the day, they're my kid, and they just want to go to swim practice and not deal with you know, uncomfortability and, you know, discrimination just on the basis of who they are. Um, it seems in some ways so simple, but um, it's the work that is required, I think, now more than ever um, because the rhetoric is so bad out there and because this government in particular is really targeting the trans community um, just so unfairly. Since day one. Yeah, they've literally. been coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of communities have been under attack, yes. but I think the transgender community yeah. has been like has from left and right from everything from employment mm -hmm. to serving in the military yeah. to education health care now mm -hmm. what is your organization doing to fend off these attacks yeah. i will try to like work with other organizations yeah, yeah. so um to be very clear, we don't do litigation. So mm -hmm. we are working with our partners in the community um, who do litigation. So our friends at Lambda Legal, at, at Transgender Law Center, and other folks. But one of the things that we really do is expose the issue and also try and break down the policy jargon and really explain to people, here's what this proposal by the administration means, and this is how it could impact you. Let me give you a, a an example, um, a few months ago, the Department of Health and Human Services announced that they were going to have a new, the Religious Freedom and Conscience Bureau, um, where the office is designed to essentially promote the religious convictions, protect the religious convictions of those who work in healthcare settings. And really under this broad guise of saying religious freedom essentially allows people to say we're not going to serve you because of our religious belief around being gay or transgender or around reproductive um, services and they actually even went a step forward and proposed a regulation about that we had to take all that really complex information and basically say this would basically allow a doctor or nurse in an, um, an emergency room to refuse to serve someone who might have broken their arm simply on the basis of they are gay or they are transgender or you know they are seeking um, uh, you know reproductive services and um, 
that uh, is part of the complex work that we have to do. Yeah. And because it's coming out left and right almost every day, um, that's it can't be great, but, that's but, but it, it has to be done. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the, the, the real things that we can do right now. We, we don't have a sympathetic government. They won't meet with us necessarily. Um, but what we can at least do is, is try and educate the public uh, about uh, what is being done and why they need to pay attention, but also showcasing a lot of the good work that is still going on out there. Um, I think it's really important that we also send positive messages and not completely send all the gloomy news out from the Beltway. But there's governors out there that are uh, progressive, that are yeah. doing good to the community, good yes. for the community, yeah. and we need to highlight those wins. But I agree with you that there's a lot, especially from whether it be a resignation, mm -hmm. firing, mm -hmm. uh, scandal that's breaking out, it drowns out this one issue that this one community is being targeted. Yeah. And no one's rising in the streets. Yeah. You yeah. know, we get that for gun control, women's yeah. Yeah. Um, rights, but we're the trans supporters. Well, I, I, I've always cautioned people about the numbers that they would see around trans rights. And I'm not proud to say this necessarily, but I don't ever expect huge swarms, even the kind of swarms that we saw around when gay marriage happened. I think it's context, um, people's familiarity, and the trans community is relatively small, right? Um, and even just, you know, social economic capital, we're just not as strong yet, um, you know, I do think there is some, we are seeing a curve now happening where people are really starting to pay attention and understand who we are. There are more, there are more trans people that are out there. Indeed, it's the young people in particular who are really pushing the issues and coming out. Um, I, I, wanna say I don't think we're going to see massive, um, massive, you know, demonstrations just solely on trans issues. I think what is important is that trans issues aren't just siloed off, that they actually are part of larger conversations when it comes to discrimination against immigrants and Muslims and women and, and about jobs and economic stuff. And I think that in some ways is even more important. Yes, people should be supporting us, but we also need to be supporting other efforts that are going on out there. That's what I was going to bring up that mm -hmm. I've seen your organization sign on to so many things, mm -hmm. including the fight for DACA, mm -hmm, for legalization. Yeah. Why is it important? Well, because trans kids are, are, are part of the DACA dreamer community and also um, other um, immigrant and minority communities in this country. I mean, one of the things that we did in the last year was publish four um, people of color reports um, based off of our 2015 U.S. trans survey data, um, which surveyed 28,000 trans people across the country. But indeed, trans people, again, are part of other communities and really trying to showcase the particular experiences of trans people of color. Um, we have a report on uh, trans Latinos. Um, we have on American Indian, on, on um, Asian Pacific Islander, and, and black uh, uh, trans folks. And um, that's why, because we're just very aware of the fact that a lot of these different intersectional issues are impacting people in our community. And we know that the experiences, unfortunately, are even graver for someone who might be um, Latino and undocumented and living with HIV and possibly in an ICE detention center and not getting the services that they need. And we've been aware of that for some time. 
Um, I just think now it's just second nature for us to say, yeah, of course we're going to be there. And also I would say in particular, we've been very, very strong about being involved with um, fighting back on the anti-Islamophobia stuff that's out there too. Well, you're being seen and heard, and it's being reciprocated. Mm -hmm. At the first um, protest in front of the White House Mm -hmm. when he did that military ban, I saw a whole group of Latino students Mm -hmm. who were there with CHCI. Yeah. They were there with their in their suits and their badges. Yeah. They had just come from a conference, yeah. and they all lined up mm-hmm. in support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should well, be very proud of that. Yeah, and I think also what's really good about that is that I think a lot of these young people know trans people now or non-binary folks. It, they're just more, for lack of a better term, exposed to the issue than even my generation was 10 years ago. It's just um, there are more and more of us that are coming out in all of our different communities. And it almost feels like what it, I guess was 20 years ago where everyone was like, oh yeah, I've got a gay person in my family kind of thing. Um, so I'm hopeful I, that, that, you know, that warms my heart to, to know that so many folks would come out for that. Um, I um, just hope it's sustainable because I know that there are just a lot of people um, understandably are really frustrated, especially around um, Dreamer, DACA stuff right now. Um, I mean, the court recently, th- that, that district court was great about saying, hey, Trump administration, you have to do this, you have to accept new applicants, but we know government is slow, and you know every day that's ticking by is some family, right? And exactly. so I think it's, it's, it's being positive, but also being very aware of like the acute issues that are on the ground. If people want to reach out to you um, mm-hmm. to partner with you and your community outreach, how can they reach you? Sure. So first, we really encourage people to check out our website, uh, www.transequality.org. We also have um, a Medium uh, page where we have a lot of posts about some of the issues that we're working on. Um, It goes into a little bit more detail. Of course, we're on social media, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Me particularly, uh, folks should feel free to email me, uh, rfriedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N, hyphen, Gerspan, G-U-R, S as in Sam, P as in Peter, A-N, at transequality.org, and that information is also on my website. And if they want to make a donation, you're yes. a 501c3? We are. Well, we are a 501c3, but we also have a 501c4 um, sister that. organization that does political work, our NCT Action Fund, uh, where we will be endorsing candidates this year for um, for office, um, and we will be doing some voter education information, especially for trans voters uh, in certain states where there are um, these requirements about ID that all these kinds of things impact uh, folks on election day. So we're also doing um, some coordinated work around that. So folks should feel free, of course, to give to either um, C4 or C3. We really um, appreciate every dollar, and it goes really to the community. At the end of the day, it's impacting trans people across the nation. And you celebrate 15 years, yes, right? Your quinceañera. Yes. yes, our quinceañera. So our, our quinceañeros is as on May 17th uh, here. A yeah, yeah, here in, in D.C. Um, at the Hamilton Live on Thursday, May 17th at 6 p.m. And we'd love folks to come. We actually announced. It's a ticketed event? It's a ticketed event, um, but we do have... Um, uh, 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 ways if folks need uh, assistance in, in attending. We really want community members there. Um, and I can uh, let you know that we are honoring um, 
uh, Andy Mara, who uh, is um, uh, a member of the community up in New York, uh, Sarah McBride, uh, who Sarah. recently wrote her, her book. And then yes. we are very pleased to announce that we are giving our ally award to the Obama administration. And Valerie Jarrett yes. um, is accepting that on, on the president's behalf. Congratulations, yeah, Valerie. So, yeah, awesome. yeah. So we're very excited. We really love for community members to be there. Well, thank you so much, Rafi, for giving us your time. I really appreciate you sharing all this knowledge and such a, and all the important work that you do for the community. Thank you very much.